Welcome to the Building Black Podcast, where our mission is to build Black health, Black wealth, and Black love. And so today we're going to be delving into the Black wealth. How can we build Black wealth? And we have a guest expert that this is his thing. Real estate is his thing. Our guest, Irving Cham, he's a thorough real estate uh, professional, and he is the leader of the CHAM group, which is based out of Maplewood, New Jersey. The CHAM group is his team of real estate professionals that are within Caldwell Banker. And Irv has been doing this for a long time. He's servicing the, the residents of Essex in Union County, New Jersey. And he assists all types of clients from real estate developers to real estate investors first-time home buyers, affordable housing participants, residential clients. And um, he was born in East Orange, New Jersey, to two Haitian immigrant parents. And then they moved to Maplewood. And Irv has received a slew of awards, including Distinguished Sales Agent. He's a member of the NAACP. He's assisted in selling over $3 million worth of properties in in one year. He's also a member of the NAREB Board of Directors. He's doing it all. So, Mar, we we have quite the guest for our show today. Yes, we do. I'm excited. Are you excited? I'm excited. I'm excited to hear from (laughs) you. I I, I didn't introduce you yet, I'm doing okay. How How are you today? I'm I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit anxious about... This uh, this election we have coming Absolutely. up is right around the corner. We all are, but we got to keep pushing through. Are you Are you taking next week I'm off? I'm not. No, I should no? have. No, I, you I told you guys. <laughs> you did. You did tell me. I didn't listen. So <laughs> to take some time off because it might be just a be there stressful. when I need to cry on your shoulder next week, please. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll try. I'll try. So let me go ahead and bring in Irv. Irv, thank you so much for joining us. That's quite the buy yes. we have there. And that was only a little yes, welcome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kaidi and Marv. I really appreciate it. Um I, I, I look forward to speaking to you guys and us having dialogue of um building the black community. And um I appreciate you guys yes. for even putting this forum together. It's important um that we inform and empower our people. So it's a great yes. job. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's really important to us to really be able to speak to our issues and those three areas, the Black health, the Black wealth, and the Black love. I think if we can get those things together, we'll be on our way. Yeah, but but it's harder for us. So today we're focusing on the real estate and real estate investment aspect from home ownership to investing in real estate and multiple units. We want to talk about that. So we pulled some stats that were reported by the Urban Institute. So this is a, a, a national nonprofit and they do research um, basically exploring urban areas and the disparities in urban areas is nonpartisan. So um, the, the information should be unbiased. And what they found was that 72% of white American households are homeowners while only 42% of black households are homeowners. And this percentage gap is higher than what it's been for over 50 years um, when redlining was, 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 was legal. So um, since the, the Great Recession back in what, 2009, 2010, that, the, that gap has really increased. And as we're looking at these numbers, we're wondering, what are the barriers to home ownership that have created this 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 gap for Black people? So some of the things we came up with and what the urban uh, the Urban Policy Institute stated was that our income is one barrier. So the median income for Black households is thirty eight thousand, but yet for white white households it's sixty one thousand. And then our credit. So more than fifty percent of white families have a credit score of seven hundred plus, while only 21% of us have a credit score of 71% or uh, 700% or more. And then we also have mm-hmm. the marriage rate. So I thought this one was really interesting that we're much less likely to get married and 
be able to combine our finances to apply for homes. So those were some of the things that were getting in the way, according to the Urban Institute. But Irv, we want to hear from you. What would you say are some of the barriers that prevent Black people from from homeownership? Wow. Um, where exactly do I start? There's so many of them. Um, we <laughs> Believe it or not, there's just so many. Um, if we take a look at just the um, the fact that we don't have the down payments um, because we do like our due to all the other slew of things that's against us, such as um, the income gap, the, uh, the, the economic oppression and everything else. Like it's hard for us to have like the down payment, the deposits, like our families didn't inherit um, like hundreds of acres of land or they didn't inherit big insurance policies or they didn't inherit like businesses. Like I know some of us, some of our families did, but the majority of our families didn't. So that leaves us mm-hmm. with not having the ability to um, come up with a down payment. Um, specifically when you're talking about income, um, the disparity of the, the how much the white person makes versus the black person, like that, that, that difference in itself would hinder someone to qualify for a loan and even have the ability to save money for a down payment. So that's one thing. Then you're talking about credit. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know about you guys, but when I was younger, no one really sat down and told me about credit, how important credit was and what I would need my credit for. And like, you know, a lot of us didn't have that structure in our life or that direction in our life. And I think that's a that's one of the two biggest reasons that um, that cause us not to be able to qualify for loans or um, or or own property for the most part. Mm-hmm. OK, so, you know, Kai had you had mentioned um, redlining earlier and how it's um, it's illegal now. But, you know, Irv, I want to ask you, from what you see, is it still happening? Absolutely. Uh, redlining is happening okay. simply because we can't control what the bank does. Like, there's no one double checking the bank. Right. Um, and I hate to be the one to point the finger at the bank, the bank, the bank. But at the end of the day, they are the culprit that has been causing all these issues. Um, FHA were one of the people that were writing covenants against Black people to own homes. And now I know a lot of people are saying like, they're the ones that's helping us, but it's not really that they're helping us. It's more so that they're correcting all the mistakes that they've made in the past. Think about the, the, the governmental body or the insurance body that's supposed to guarantee or underwrite our loans is saying that black people are not allowed to own homes mm-hmm. or they can't buy homes in these areas. Right. So like with, with that being said, we got to understand that like, this with like with the stuff that they were doing before a lot of that stuff hasn't changed it's just that they found a way to to do it without us really knowing such as using like different appraisals appraisal companies or like doing things such as switching the 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 verbiage up in your pre-approvals or their underwriting software like there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes that we don't know about and all we see is oh, we weren't approved or we only approved for this amount or this is the interest rate that we get. We don't really see all the intricacies that happen in the backgrounds, the algorithms that they're using in these programs, the who's who's programming the software. Like, mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, the bank wants to protect themselves first and foremost. So, is so there, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was going to say, is there anything that we can, is there anything that we can do um, to to just be um, mindful, or is anything we can look out for? I should say to prevent would, this from happening. Yeah, I would say for us to align ourselves with the right professionals. Um, like for example, my team we're, we're fighting appraisers right now, left to right, trying to like basically discount the properties in specific areas by 15 percent of market value, which is which hurts. A the buyer, it hurts the seller, and it help it hurts the um, the appreciation of the area, like the neighbors. Like if a house on a on a block sells for a certain amount, and what that does is, like if it sells for a higher amount, that then gives the neighbor the comp 
or the comparable to where if they wanted to refinance and pull money out and invest or refinance and pay for their kids college or something like that, that gives them the ability to do so. But if the, the appraisers are going in and saying that, oh, no, these properties, because they're in this area, we're going to say something such as an environmental hazard or it's not the they'll say like the streetscape isn't is, isn't as beautiful as it needs to be or whatever the case may be like that hurts everybody that hurts the, that hurts the area it hurts mm-hmm. the, the, the the homeowner's ability to refinance and get equity out their house this way they could do other things with it. And I don't really see that happening in other areas outside of our areas, like, which is like the, the Essex County union County area. I don't see that happening. It sounds like you're saying, get you a team of, of excellent black professionals who can, yeah, that will go to bat. Absolutely. And Mm -hmm. that will go to bat for you and under, or if they're not black, at least understand the issues that black people face when it comes to um, discrimination or, kind of systemic issues that will prevent them from being successful in this area. Absolutely, 100%. Um, that's one of the most important things is to align yourself with the right people, um, the people that have your best interests at heart and don't just see you as a dollar sign. Like a lot of the professionals in our industry, they see you guys and us as dollar signs, not so much as clients and family and mm-hmm. friends. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I see it happen all the time where our people, whether they work with a white or black person, they just choose the wrong person to work with and they end up in a really bad situation. And um, it's unfortunate. Uh, I I always tell them like, look for references, like look for like potential clients that they've worked with in the past and just follow them on social media, see what they're really about. Are they talking about the people or are they showing you Chanel bags and Gucci belts and Mm. and and stuff like that? Like, you know, are, are they telling you the truth or are they trying to hit you with a glittering generality of, look, you could become a homeowner with $10,000 down knowing that's not the truth, you know? You know, I want to backtrack a little bit because you had said when, when we asked what were some of the mm-hmm. barriers, you mentioned life insurance yeah. policies that we don't have. And that's something that I've only more recently in the past few years began to understand how you can use it as leverage for things like houses. So can you break that down a little bit as to how you can leverage life insurance to... Yeah, there's uh, certain policies, home? and I would also always tell you, um, align yourself with the right life insurance professional, but there's certain policies that you could borrow against and borrow from. And as you do that, you're not taxed as much, and you could pay back into it, and it's not you won't be penalized for borrowing against it. And um, I see clients do that. The other side of the life insurance is like when, you know, unfortunately, when someone um, expires or passes away in your family, they usually live, I mean, they usually leave um, some type of, you know, life insurance policy for, for their, their heirs. Um, in our communities, mm-hmm. we really didn't see that happen um, for the first, like between like the fifties and sixties, a lot of our people really didn't have life insurance policies. Um, you got to think about like, uh, go back a couple of generations. So let's say in the 1800s there, they, they had life insurance policies. The life insurance policies went as far as people taking life insurance policies, even on their slaves. So when their slaves died, they were mm. cashing out on life insurance policies. So they would get money, even if they were the ones that killed their slaves. Wow. If you guys understand me in between the lines, even yeah. if they're the ones that killed their slaves, they cash wow. out on their life insurance policy. So with, with the ability to build wow. those funds generationally, then you're talking about our people where we just got the freedom to do things maybe a hundred years ago. So we're only like about like a century old in the game. Like we already had started from the back of the class mm-hmm. at that point. So we're talking about where white people had like generations of generations of wealth. When we're talking about generations, like generational wealth. Now our people are coming in maybe a century ago and they're starting to build wealth. So that means that uh, like our people have less of an opportunity to have had that wealth and have had like life insurance policies, mm-hmm. stocks and investments, so on and so forth, where you have people that have two, three, four generations back 
of wealth in their family right. where where right. they own land, they could leverage land, they could pay for schools and colleges because they had so much property and so much land in which our people didn't have that ability with especially with all the covenants mm-hmm. and all the restrictions written into deeds back um, before the Jim Crow days and even after the Jim Crow days. So this is this is stuff that held us back. And those insurance policies proved to be beneficials, I mean, beneficial to the their heirs. Like people built legacies, they built companies off of the 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 money that they got from their family's insurance policies. And which you didn't get the opportunity. And I think it's time for it's, it's, it's time for us to take advantage of that and to understand. Yeah, we have to be overinsured. We gotta insure ourselves, protect ourselves for any single thing. Like whether it be like accidents, you 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 become like um, disabled for a little while, whatever the case may be, get as much insurance as possible and utilize the insurance when it needs to be utilized. Like I'm not going to tell anybody to go out and commit right. fraud or anything like that, but I will tell you to make sure you protect yourself because anything can happen, especially in these days of COVID, where if you're sick, you're out of work and you're not getting paid, or do you only want to do you always do you only want to um, basically you, do you want to sit back and wait for your employer's check or your disability check, or do you want to have the ability to? you know that you have an insurance policy that's going to pay for things like cancer. Like I have a, an insurance right. policy, like a life insurance policy that says if I get sick or anything like that, they'll pay me throughout my sickness until I expire. Or if I don't expire, they'll still pay me up until I get better. Which mm. These are things that we, we mm. need to do because we got to protect our families and we got to protect our assets. We got to protect our wealth. Absolutely. Right. And what I like about some of these policies is, you can choose, I believe some of them, you can choose not to pay back in the event that you, let's say, let's say you did pass away, whoever was the beneficiary, they wouldn't get as much as they would have if you chose to withdraw from it. But there are some policies like that. And I yeah, don't, me neither. I don't like, but um, sounds like, a pretty yeah, good like deal I tell me. people be overinsured, especially like in your cars. Like I know that it's cheaper to get the cheaper policy and this time there, you save a couple of dollars, but you get into an accident, you really get hurt, you're liable for a whole bunch of things that you really need to be protected for. Like those those riders and everything else are there for your protection. So you 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 save a couple of dollars and then you cost yourself your entire future. So that's why I tell people make sure you you make right. you do the research. And that's why I think education is so important too, because you know, sometimes people just don't know. Like you said, uh, white folks have been doing some of this stuff for centuries right and so we're just we're just catching up but that's why education is key because now we know now we're aware now we can ask the right questions so that's why forms like this is is great yeah definitely right right so Irv, you you know we're talking about education and i'm looking here you know we were talking about when you got your first home you were 19 (laughs) 20 years old young young and and I won't say dumb, <laughs> dumb, but most of us at nineteen. But he wasn't dumb know, though. He was dumb. Anything, but you're out here. I was. I was clearly, clearly, clearly. I was woke. I was. I was nineteen, twenty, and woke. <laughs> that, um, that's right. <laughs> Seriously. So, what what is it that you? I mean, you knew some things that we didn't know. Um, what was it like for you to? How were you able to take that? to take that step at 19, 20 years old and buy your first house? And, and how can we follow you? Um, getting in the game, getting it was game. simply just reading. I was I was so intrigued by, like, the books such as, like, the Robert Kiyosaki book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I was intrigued by, like, Warren Buffett's book, um, even um, Think and Grow Rich. Like, those, those Napoleon Hill's book. Mm-hmm. Like, those things are kind of, like, those those were, like, my things. And I knew that, in order for mm-hmm. for me to get to where I wanted to go, I had to take like big, big leaps of faith um, and align myself with the right people. Uh, I always kept people that were like two or three levels above me around me. And, um, and I think that was the best thing ever. And if I can give anyone any type of advice, I would always tell you like your network is really your net worth. It's not just a, a cliche or 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 just a catchy term. 
I think that it's 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 the truth. Um, you align yourself with the right people, you start making the right decisions, and I think that's what really got me to to that point. But um, it wasn't easy. Like I said, I really didn't know too much about credit. So 16, 17, I was buying cell phones and doing stupid things um, and um, messing up with my credit and stuff like that. So it took me some time, about a year or two or three, to really fix my credit and get it to where it, it needed to be. So I had to start studying and how to play with the FICO scores and um, also playing with the um, credit bureaus, how to dispute certain things. This was before we had all these automated programs to do it. So I was literally writing letters to them and typing up letters to them and disputing things off my credit report until I saw a certain number. And when I saw the certain number, I remember um, I linked up with a guy from Jersey Mortgage, Randy Ray, um, which is a white guy. He was super cool. And we were able to get it done, believe it or not. Uh, I was I got a concession from the um, from the owner. So he helped me out with my down payment. And I pulled some money out of my 401k to mm. do the, the deposits and all that other stuff. So even that didn't sound tr- like you did some things that were a little bit non-traditional. Mm-hmm. You pulled out the 401k. You got some concessions. And some of those things you have to be educated or at least have the right mm-hmm. absolutely to tell you um and it, it had a lot to do with reading like yes. that's there's no like coincidence that the people like white people kept the books and all that stuff away from us mm-hmm. because they know if we learned anything mm-hmm. more than them then we would master it absolutely um, and you know it's it, it was the truth so i just knew that the truth lies in the book so i just kept reading and kept researching and and I found myself in that position. Wow, that's really amazing, though. Um, so you've mentioned the the book uh, "Rich Dad Poor Dad." So yeah. I want to ask you. I think it, it. I think it's mentioned in the book that the home you live in isn't an asset. So do you agree with that? It depends. You can use like this house hacking now. Mm-hmm. So it's it's different things that you could do within your mm-hmm. home to to make it an asset. Okay. Um, like, for example, you could, if you have a basement, you could rent out the basement, Airbnb, rent out rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, or you could just use your space. Like I've seen people do, especially during the pandemic, they use their space for um, gatherings, small gatherings. Oh, I got a nice backyard. Okay. Can I throw my 316, my daughter's 316 in your backyard? No problem. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So that's not another thing. She had to stop you, Herb. She had to stop my catchphrase. We're going to put it on a t-shirt. My catchphrase, I say this to Marv all the time. It's money to be made. Living in America, there's all kinds of ways to make money. So people are renting out their backyards. Absolutely. You know, with COVID-19. Everything got to be outside. Yeah, exactly. And if you have a nice green space, you dress it up. You tell them, like, listen, all you got to do is bring your chairs and I'll rent you my spot for $600. And you guys order a porta potty. You don't got to come in my house. Then, you know, you do your thing. That's that's amazing, too. So what would Mm. you say to someone that is a little bit on the fence about, um, owning a house and, and gaining all that responsibility. You know, it's a lot of responsibility when you have a house or even if you are a landlord. What would you say to that person that's a little bit on the fence, a little unsure about going into something so um, big, I would say? This is the largest investment of your life. Um, okay. you're, you're never going to purchase anything, most of us in our lifetime, that's going to be more expensive than a house, four mm-hmm. or 500000 half mm-hmm. a million dollars up front. Um, But the other side of it is what other object can you purchase for that price and the loan terms are are pulled out for 30 years? Mm -hmm. You buy a car, you're you're paying your car back five years, max six years. Right. And so with with that being said, like there's no other opportunity for you to really leverage and own your own asset like a house like you can't you can't hold the stock you can't appre- you can't make a stock appreciate faster or anything like that mm-hmm. so that's why i always tell people owning the home is 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 where it's at also think about every celebrity you know mm-hmm. all of them have some type of real estate in their portfolio right every investor that's that's up there 
that's wealthy or that's considered wealthy, mm-hmm. that is the number one thing. They have real estate. The reason why it's something tangible. You can hold it. You can fix it. You can touch it. You can look at it. You can sell it. You can buy it. You can rent it. There's not too many things in on this planet mm-hmm. that you could do that much with and that could bring you so many streams of income. But you know, you know the, um, what I'm seeing, and this is something I've been considering, um, I don't know if you follow Aisha Sheldon, real estate investor, um, and also Rose, Rose Mosley. Um, from what I'm, I'm hearing from these women that are investors, they have multiple units that they purchase, but they live in, you know, like apartments or, or high risers, nice condos. They're not living in, uh, they're, they're not living in houses or properties that they own because they find it to be more uh, financially, you know, responsible or just makes more sense financially to, to live in something that's smaller. With less it all depends. What do you think like, about that? You know, some people like that. That's a nice hack where you can rent out um, all your, your, all your units are fully rent out, rented out. So you're able to maximize on your return on investment, which is great. Um, and you just have to make sure that, you know, you're, you're comfortable with that because you're going to be literally, if it's not like, let's just say you're renting, if you're renting, you're throwing that money away, potentially. Um, if it's a condo that you own, mm-hmm. I think that's a smarter move. At least you're paying down equity. Um, the only thing about certain condos, especially right now, they're not going to appreciate as fast because they're already maxed out. Mm. Um, so you're going to be paying towards the equity, but depending on how the market, like the real estate market and its totality in the area as well, if it's, um, depreciating, then you might, you might end up hurting yourself that way. Um, I know a lot of people, they do that. They, if they have a a three family, they rent out all three apartments, but then Mm -hmm. they, they, they fix Mm -hmm. the basement up so nice that they live in that basement. And that's totally like free. At that mm-hmm. point, you're living free and you're banking on everything. Like you're just banking, you're, you're cash rolling everything and then you're not coming out of your pocket for an apartment or another condo or whatever the case may be. And that that's one of the strategies we were talking about in our episode on tackling debt. Um, you know, it really eliminating your your, your housing bill and then just stacking all that towards your debt or towards some other investment um, to put yourself in a better position financially. There's ways to absolutely. I know people that own really two, to. three units and they move back home with family, whether it be their mom and pop, mm-hmm. or they move back home, mm-hmm. or they got a uh, they got a yep. spot with their, their with their siblings or whatever the case may be. Like there's so many ways to do it, but the the object of the game is to not come out of your pocket unless you're paying down equity. Hmm. Like if you're coming out of your pocket and you're you're paying rent, all right, it's cool. I know you're bankrolling money, but you're also throwing away money. So your true return on investment, you're hurting it. So if you really want to be all the way up, you cut that expense totally, and you're like, okay, look, if I'm if I have a condo, if I'm able to have a three family and then get a mortgage for a condo, that condo, I'm not living in it. I'm gonna rent it out and make money on that. Because we got to think about it like um, the the object of the game is to come out of your pocket as little as possible. Mm-hmm. Where you have your investments paying for everything. Right. You're coming out of your pocket as little as possible. Because like, if you're not an all the way 100% real estate investor, then you want to be in a position where your investments are paying for your lifestyle and your expenses and then whatever you making on your W-2, mm-hmm. your 1099, your salary, you want to be able to bankroll that. So um, as we're mm-hmm. talking about, once you become a homeowner, you know, you've gone through the first time home buyer process and everything, and maybe you're ready to sell your home. We were talking about uh, appraisal, this appraisal rate discrimination. So there was a story of uh, a couple down in Jacksonville, yep. Florida, Abina and Alex Horton. And, and they you know, they found that the, the, the wife was black and the husband was white. And when he went to get the house appraised, it was appraised for much more than it would have been with her. And so we're finding that when we're trying to appraise our houses, 
if there's a black person involved, it could be the same house and it gets appraised for less. So how do we get around that? Was it kind of, does it kind yeah, of go back to what like, you initially so said about the There's team? certain things that we're going to encounter one way or another, because this is just the world that we live in. And the 60s were only about 60 years ago where these professionals, they're like 70, 80 years old, these guys that make all the decisions. So they they lived in that world where it was it was 100 percent to discriminate and to be racially biased and prejudiced. And these people are who's running our country right now. Like this is this is what's going on. So we that's the obvious the things that we can do to to protect ourselves is to inform ourselves. So in, in appraisals, regardless of what you're getting appraised, make sure you have a professional appraise it, a non-biased appraisal beforehand. So you know exactly what you're going, you're getting into. Like, for example, if you're dealing with a real estate agent, get a CMA, which is like a comparative market analysis. So it's going to, he, the real estate agent is going to do the exact same process that the appraiser is going to do without using any of the bank's guidelines. It's not going to be as accurate, but it's going to be pretty spot on to whatever the appraisal come is going to come with. Um, like that's one thing. The other thing is I usually tell people take all their personal items like outside, like take them down when, when the house is on the market or when it's getting appraised. Because again, the appraiser is a person. That person can have any preconceived mm-hmm. notion, any type of bias, any stereotype in his mind. And like they can apply that same issue that they have to your appraisal. So mm-hmm. you're saying take down your pictures. Exactly. Like that, mm-hmm. so I know it, it sounds extreme, home. but but yeah. you're talking about a difference of a hundred thousand at times. Yeah. <laughs> that's a yeah. big difference. And, and that's, you know, we're, we're yeah, talking about that's a big difference. Like I, and I tell you, yeah. and it doesn't just affect that person. It's a trickle right. down effect. And it affects that person. It affects that seller, that buyer, the neighbor, the neighborhood, everything just off of that one appraiser. They can affect a lot of things. And that's so much power that one person has. And I've got into discussions with people that are mortgage professionals saying that, oh, no, it's not like that anymore. We send it to management companies. Okay. The management companies that you guys send it to, the appraisal management companies, who owns those management companies? What software are they using? What algorithms are they using? Mm -hmm. Hmm. They can't answer those questions. You know why they can't answer? Because they don't know themselves. But it's easier for them to not say there's an right. issue versus them to confront the issue at hand. So it's easier for them to say, like, nah, there's nothing going on. It's, it's totally fair. The entire process is fair. Okay, no problem. So you're almost saying take matters almost into your own hands. Absolutely. You. And yeah, you should absolutely. do this in every situation when you're dealing with such a big investment. Okay. Like you should you should always do that. Take matters into your own hands. Do your research. Look at Zillow. Look at Trulia. Talk to different realtors. Mm-hmm. Like even go to the tax records in your in in your local municipality. Look at what the houses close for on the tax record. So you have all that information, or you just get an independent appraisal beforehand. Okay. When you when you're dealing with a person versus a bank, where this is the, you're paying that person, so it's in their best interest to provide you with the best information that you're asking for. So you're already equipped with your with your appraisal. Then, because you the only downside to that is you're going to have to pay for that, which is usually about six seven hundred bucks. But it it's worth so much because you'll know exactly what you're looking at, and if there's a discrepancy, you have something to compare it to. I have to say, as I'm hearing this, I'm I'm feeling stressed. This this is why <laughs> buying a house can be stressful. Herb, please make sure that you <laughs> I, I definitely that will. I definitely will. Me. <laughs> because it it sounds like a, it sounds like an intense process that you have to. But have Heidi, you talk about simply anxiety. buying a house. What about even refinancing after you buy? And you're trying to refinance yeah. to get a lower rate. They hmm. yo, it's not easy to do that either. Right. Like, we black, nothing's easy though, okay? You know, you know how that goes. Mm-hmm. Nothing's easy. So, so Herb, just to go back to I the, know, you know, I know. the home ownership, I know. 
and things like that. Uh-huh. Um, how do we move from, you know, just owning the home into investing or investments and, and um, multiple uh, properties? So there's so, there's so there's so many different ways to to invest in real estate. Okay. Um, like you can buy multiple properties. That's good. Um, where you have regular the two to three families up to the four families where you're still in the residential side. Um, and there's a bunch of things on like bigger pockets, which is a um, a platform that I think that anyone that's um, interested in doing real estate, you should subscribe to them. Bigger pockets, okay. um, they it's it's a wealth of information with people all across the world, basically, and um, a lot of um, trusted professionals on there giving their advice. Um, but like, there's don't I would say you're going to invest in real estate. Don't stay inside of a bubble. Mm-hmm. Like there's two families, there's three families, then you have, and you have four families. Then you have the mixed use properties where you have a storefront um, at the bottom for commercial space. And then you have the residential up top. Those mm-hmm. are very popular as well. The interest rate on those loans will be higher because there's a higher level of risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have even like land, um, right. agricultural land where you can get USDA grants and all that type of stuff that you can also invest in. And like, for example, investing in land. If you know, if like, if you're one of those people in your town where you know a lot about what's going on, who's coming in, what type of businesses are coming in, and you see a piece of land next to somewhere that you think that they're going to develop, buy that land. You know oh. why? Because that mm-hmm. developer is probably going to need that parcel and they're going to pay you so they can take that parcel. Mm. So, And that's another way that you can invest in real mm. estate and not really worry or have like a high overhead because it's just land. So the most they're going to ask is for you to keep it mowed and fenced. Mm. And, and, and then you just kind of wait until something happens. And worst case scenario, you build on that land whenever you want to. Or you, Absolutely. or you make a garden, or you you, mm-hmm. you get mm. you see, check the zoning um, requirements in that area, and you build like a little community garden, which is really popular right now because farmers markets are popular. So right. there's money to be made. Mar, so speaking money about made, money to Mar. be made, or you know, I mean, thank you. This, <laughs> is, this is very informative, and there's so many different options. What do you say to people that want to go into investing with their friends? What are some oh. steps they can take um, if you want to invest as a group? Smart. Very, very good question. I wish I had the best answer for you. I'll mm-hmm. give you my um, my uh, answer based upon my experiences. Um, I'll tell you, make sure you're investing with like-minded people. Mm. Um, where your habits align your Mm -hmm. lifestyles align and you pretty much financially are yoked Mm. correctly um the the reason being is like this is a real relation like the love relationship is cool and fine and dandy and there's a lot of things that keep everybody calm cool collected when things go go crazy but when you're talking about business, mm-hmm. like all the lubby-dubby stuff doesn't exist. Right. It's strictly about the money, the asset, mm-hmm. the investment. Right. So you're basing your, your, your decisions upon that. So at times when people are not like-minded, like for example, you have a group of, of people that be like, look, we just made 300,000 on this investment. Let's go out. Let's take some vacations. Let's blow it. Go pop some bottles. While out, grab a couple cars. We on to our next. Then you got another group of investors that be like, oh, "We just made three hundred thousand. Let's go put that into the next one. Let's roll that over into a ten thirty one exchange, so we're not taxed, and go into our next investment, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or go buy something in the opportunity zone, so we won't be taxed as much, and go into our next investment. So you want to make sure whoever you invest with." You invest with them and make sure that you guys are equally yoked when it comes down to that. Um, I would say credit scores, like that stuff should kind of be said already. Like you you mm-hmm. want to know that person's credit score, mm-hmm. what's their credit worthiness, how much they have liquid, 
okay. um, and kind of come up with like a game plan as to what do you what hmm. what do you see hmm. yourself like your first year, five year, ten year actually has to align if you're going to be business partners because mm-hmm. it's not something short term. It's going to be something long term. And um, you probably want to have an operating agreement between your two, you two to basically break down exactly what your roles are and what mm-hmm. your responsibilities are, what the percentages would be, who's responsible for what, and how are you guys going to divvy up any funds. And in case there needs to be some type of severalty, how will that look legally? So we're talking about making sure that there's a similar money mindset when going into business with friends but I think that the same applies when we talk about going into a partnership a relationship a marriage if we want to build generational wealth that similar money mindset in the way that you manage money is something that you should definitely consider I agree 100% um when you're dealing with uh, a spouse, especially these day with this day and age, um, and you guys are going to build a family, so on and so forth. Like, there's going to be so many points where your credit, your 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 financial savviness will all have to play its part, and it's going to have to be together. That it only makes sense that you kind of get all of that stuff out in the forefront. I know a lot of people don't even get into, they don't even get married until they tackle all their financial situations. Um, and make sure that they're like free of debt so they can go in and clear 100% and go from there. And um, also they they want to know like their partner's habits, like, you know, um, whether they have an excessive spending mm-hmm. habit, expressive, like, you know, different things like um, put paying bills on time, stuff like that. Uh, we see that happened like in our end uh, as real estate agents, uh, my team and I, we, you probably see all exactly kind of- <laughs> like we'll see people get divorced for the craziest things. They'd be like, "Yeah, he never pays anything on time, and that's why I'm divorcing him because he's messing up my credit and this, that, and third, or it's vice versa. She's spending all the money that I make, that, and third. So, a lot of things need to be communicated beforehand, um, especially if you're talking about building something um, of substance and for long term. In my opinion. Um, and a lot of people are doing prenuptial Absolutely. agreements, as I see now, too. You're starting to see that a lot, too. Hmm. I don't know how I feel about That's a whole that. nother Dude, show. That's, that's, <laughs> that's a whole nother show. <laughs> All right. So let, let's go ahead and, and close out and go into our builder break segment. So Irv, we're going to give you three topics. And we want you to tell us whether they build the black community or break the black community and tell us your why. And remember, you can't say both. You can't okay. say neither. You gotta okay. pick one. Game. All right. So first one, this is Ice Cube and his plan for black America. Now, I have my own opinions on this, but I went and I looked it up. And some of the things in his plan, which he's sitting down with President Trump, Um, He has prison reform in there. He has judicial reform where he wants to eliminate uh, minimums and three strike laws. He uh, has lending reform requiring banks to lend a percentage of their their finances to uh, black people. So he's touching on some things and I know he's been getting some flack. So what do you think? Can I explain why? Please. Um, I think build because dialogue with anyone that has not heard anything from our side is always good you know like the mere fact that he's able to have dialogue with donald trump in regards to stuff like this like whether it's just lip service that he's giving you whatever the case may be he he at least has acknowledged it if you and i are complaining on social media and we're complaining to our friends and family and nothing's happening nothing's happening and then there is a brother that's able to go up there and have a conversation with this guy dialogue dialogue mm-hmm. is always good and that's the reason why i felt like it was it it, it, it was a good thing it was a good thing you know a lot of people are monolithic coming so mm-hmm. So, yeah, my, and, and there, anytime you try to express or talk with someone on the other side, they throw you under the bus. Like Chrisette Michelle, I mean, that ended her career for performing yes, at inauguration. Yeah. 
Um, I, I feel she she's an amazing singer. I feel bad, but like we should be able to. And that's the problem because that's like the pot calling calling the kettle black. We always say that you know those people always are judging us and we're stereotypical, but it's the same thing with politics. When someone says that they're Republican, we think that they're racist, which isn't the truth. It, like mm-hmm. people are allowed to have mm-hmm. different different um, like perspectives on politics. That's what America is based off of is a democracy where people have the ability to think differently and to feel differently and have different values. So there's nothing wrong with someone saying that they're Republican or they're Democrat, because I see it on both sides, unfortunately. And it's, mm-hmm. it's just how much the media and TV and people that just don't know are controlling us. Um, like, if you really look at it, the, Repu- the Republican Party back in, back during like the Civil War and all that stuff, those, that was the party that was representing the black people now fighting for freedom. Yeah, they represented more of our values. And not up until the 60s yeah. when, it's you true. know, the whole racial stuff was going on with Lyndon B. Johnson and everybody else. That's when it kind of flip-flopped. But before then, the Republican was mm-hmm. usually a, a black man from the South fighting for his freedom. Mm-hmm. Right. Um now we're talking about parties that this is our next question. <laughs> Kanye West, he's running in at least 12 states for, he's for president us. build a break. Can I explain why? Please. Why? <laughs> <laughs> um I respect Kanye. Um I'm actually a fan of Kanye's music. Um I I, I love what his wife is doing as far as social injustice and stuff like that. Um and I, I, I gave him a lot more credit than I think he really deserved. Um, the, the other side of it mm-hmm. is, like, you know how important this presidential election is um, to both parties. So you coming in the mix, especially with your popularity, um, makes it extremely, like, even if you take one vote away from either party, um, it, it's pretty messed mm-hmm. up because you're not a serious politician. You don't really know. Well, he's exactly. splitting the vote. And, he's splitting the vote. And in my mind, like that's something that's treacherous. Like you shouldn't want to, you shouldn't do that. Like that's, you're a lot more responsible than that. And people in his camp should have told him that. Like, yo, like this, if you want to play around, like you could play around, but right now is not the time to really be playing around. But we also have to give him the credit that he has, like you know, um, psychological issues and emotional mm-hmm. issues that he's battling with. So all that right. can play a, play its part too. But that definitely, because you're not, he hasn't come, came out like Ice Cube did and said like, "Hey, look, this is what I want for our people." No, you've just been sitting there giving them lip service and being kind of like um, a minstrel in yeah. a sense. So. Right, right. Okay, last one. Mm-hmm. This goes back to real estate. Buying affordable housing. So build or break when we buy affordable Ooh. housing. <laughs> he stressed <God>. out. <laughs> that was a good one. That's a good question. Um, affordable housing. That's why I put it on. Yeah, affordable housing is crazy because it 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 helps. Like, so that's the case by case scenario. Um, affordable housing, which is I'm such a, a advocate for it for the people that need it. Um, I would I I in my perfect world, all renters would qualify for affordable housing. Like, I would switch their their rents into paying down equity and everything else so they could build wealth. So the affordable housing side, like I'm a proponent for it. I, I love it. Um, the downside of a, affordable housing is it doesn't, as far as equity and how I feel about equity, I feel like I'm a defender of, um, of our people's equity. Um, the affordable housing, would it, it, it typically hinders our equity because we have a metric right. as of um, how much a person can make in order for them to live in this place and it's hard if you um economically deprive an area of income um it's hard for that area to grow 
um, it's hard for businesses to come into that area because most businesses, the first thing they want to see is how much is the median income in the area. And if that area is entirely, if it's entire income is like, um, like affordable housing, which would be like the $30,000, $20,000 range, then it's hard for us to bring businesses that's going to create jobs to come in that area. Um, in my opinion, the way that you make affordable housing work is that you give people the opportunity for affordable housing and then you help them graduate into higher programs and you get them placed where they're making more money. So it's in my perfect world, there'll be two components to affordable housing. It'll be affordable housing and then equal pay. Um, this way we can graduate those people outside of affordable housing and bring the new wave of people in there. Um, I think where one of the faults of fallacies within affordable housing is people stay there for 10, 15, 20 years. There's no program that can sustain and grow and actually be efficient if I'm still making the same amount of money I was making 20 years ago or less. It has to grow. Well, not only that, too, but from what I saw, there are limits on how much you can actually sell these homes for if you purchase an affordable home, correct? There's some there's some deed restrictions as to how much you can sell initially. Okay. And then you have to give back some of the profits to the city or whoever, whatever grant. Because it's probably coming from a CDBG grant, a community block destination grant. So it, 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 that part gets a little wonky, but it, 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 in my mind, it holds back the, the, the growth of the entire city and that person. So affordable housing, in my eyes, should be something transitional and also phased up. Where Okay, is it build or break? Oh, my <laughs> God. Which, which one? <laughs> You said I, with all that said. Oh my God. Um, I'm not uh I'm gonna say build. Okay. All right. I'm gonna say build. Cause cause okay. without it, we're gonna have more homeless people and we already got that big problem. Mm. So mm. okay. All right. Well, thank you so much, Irv. This has been so informative. Where can our listeners find you? Um, you can find me at uh, Irv Sells Homes on Instagram. You can find um, all, me at also the Cham Group. That's where my team is uh, on Instagram or the Cham Group on Facebook um, or Irving D. Cham on Facebook. If you enjoyed this episode of the Building Black Podcast, we need your help. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Let us know what you think. And as always... Share it with a friend. We love you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.